Welcome to the Paulist Daily Comics Analysis Podcast. Today is Sunday, um, August 21st, and our book today is Dr. Fate, number 15 from DC Comics. Sunday is when we do our, our Sunday Super Friend, and we talk about DC Comics, and um, our focus today is on Dr. Fate, number 15, although I'll be touching a little bit on the wider um, world of DC superhero art and and superhero comics. Uh, my name is Paul, and every day what I do is I, I pick up a comic book, I try to do some analysis of it from a variety of perspectives, and integrate those perspectives uh, into a reading of the book um, and some discussion of the medium and the industry and uh, um, cultural force that's comics. Thank you, and let's dig deep. Um... It's really good to, to be here every day, and thank you for listening, those of you who are following the podcast. I realize that um, as a marketing um, strategy, <laughs> taking a comic every marketing is, I, I mean that ironically because there's no money uh, being made from this, but um, uh, every day picking a comic from a variety of fields means that this, this podcast is a little bit hard to pin down. It's hard to pin down whether I am... Um, uh, talking about the um, you know the world of uh, mini comics and, and indie comics, the the little um, uh, zines that you find at um, a place like SPX or the Alternative Press Expo, or if I'm talking about newspaper comics um, and stuff that's for kids, the stuff that you find on the New York Times bestseller list for graphic novels like Rain and Telgemeier, uh, which I talked about on Friday. Um, uh, or if I'm talking about the the big two mainstream superhero comics that um, you know fill up our our um, comic shelves, comic store shelves, and uh, and and uh, also our box office listings as um, your Suicide Squads and your um, Batman v Supermans and your Avengers um, climb up those those um, box office you know and uh, and movie blockbuster charts. What are we talking about here? <laughs> and who are you? And who are you to talk about this much stuff? And how is it possible for you to consume this much stuff, Paul? Uh, well, that's why I call it the Paul List. I think that um, I try to be um, uh, polygamous <laughs> when it comes to the approaches that I take to reading comics, to the sorts of comics that I read. The one thing that I am committed to in this podcast is comics. Um, whatever forms that they take, uh, in whatever ways that I can. And certainly there is a, um, a narrow field that I am attending to because I am a North American, I am a, a person of certain tastes, um, I am a, a person with um, you know, academic interest in, in reading and literacy. But, um, but on the other hand, there's also just kind of the fact of, of the world of comics is so broad and it's so big that if you make a comics podcast and you, you, you're trying to talk about comics, you are often and inevitably ignoring a huge swath of what it means to, to say the word comics. I love the work of Comics Alternative, another podcast, um, because they, uh, you know, sort of self-referentially acknowledge that there's no, um, <laughs> there's sort of no limit once you get past the, um, the the limited construction of comics as just you know american superheroes that come from marvel and dc and maybe a few from other places like the walking dead if you get past that um sort of big money making mainstream uh the world of comics is very wide and the comics alternative talks about web comics and they talk about um indie comics and they talk about publishers like drawn and quarterly and fanographics and they talk about manga and they talk about european comics and that's something that i um, aspire to but at the same time, that I, I don't, um, I, I'm not going to stop reading <laughs> superhero comics, and that's why I've committed myself to um, twice a week doing a DC comic and a Marvel comic. Because, well, two reasons: one, because I think that that those comics are so important in the sense of how many people read them and how broadly um, they're consumed, and um, how much you know our children play uh, pretending to be Batman and Superman or Spider Man and Captain America um, or Supergirl and um, and Black Widow, um, and B because I like them, <laughs> because I like them and I read them, and as much time as I spend um, you know digging into the um, the the back catalog of of your your indie publishers and um, in the in the crates of um, mini comics that uh, are at um, my wonderfully stocked 
local comic shop. Um, I usually go to Escapist Comics in Berkeley. Uh, by the way, they have a great podcast too. Check them out at Escapist Comics. <laughs> uh, they're a lot of fun and really funny, the uh, Jesse and Jessica who talk about um, sort of the latest comics. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, as much fun as I have digging into the um, recesses of comics or the, the, the broader world of comics, I spend a lot of time reading and trying to keep up with your secret wars and your civil wars and your crises on infinite um, multiverses. And, um, and, and part of it is because I, I care and part of it is because I enjoy them. And, um, and I think there's a lot to enjoy in them, but I think they're also really fascinating to watch if you, can, are, if you think about literacy in society and culture, as I try to do, um, however meekly and poorly that I do it. And that uh, meekness and that poverty is definitely revealed in this podcast. Um, so, um, hey, listen, I'm glad if you listen, and I hope you will uh, let me know that you're listening at uh, Two Ply on Twitter. And I thank those of you who have um, either emailed me or um, reached out to me on Twitter to let me know that you're listening. Um, if it were just the maybe six, maybe 13, maybe 23 of you who do listen to this podcast, uh, it would it would be worth my effort and worth my time. And I thank you for being a listener. Um, however, if um, you can help to promote the podcast in any way, letting us know, uh, you know that you're listening. I keep saying us as if it's a royal we, as if me and the, um, the committee and the people back there in the studio are all overlooking this uh, and not uh, one weird person by himself on a microphone producing this. But <laughs> if uh, let, let me know that you're listening and, and, and whatever you can to help promote the podcast to others who might enjoy it if you know somebody who um, likes reading comics or is interested in literature or the arts at, at this level. Um, interested in in cultural analysis and critique, please let them know about the podcast, and um, it helps if you rate us on on iTunes. Um, As I said, I'm not going to quit talking about superhero comics, Um, and actually some of the best responses from people have been ones who have appreciated that I'm reading about comics, and I'm not, I don't know, one of those comics bros. I don't um, <laughs> I don't really uh, hang out with a lot of other people who read superhero comics. Um, the one exception is probably my brother, who is one of my best friends, uh, my little brother. And, um, and he read comics because he found them laying around the house when I left them there. And so um, he and I talk about comics all the time. And one of the things that we talk about is how different our, our tastes are um, when it comes to comic books. He is a, definitely a mainstream superhero comic reader. Um, and he will enjoy the occasional um, literary graphic novel that um, he finds or that I drop in his way. And he'll read um, some indie stuff. Um, but for the most part, he is the kind of person who likes the, the explosive bombast of a, super, a, of a good superhero narrative. And one of the things that we talk about and joke about often is how we have very opposite tastes despite being brothers. Being raised in the same household and, and you can um, you know, figure out a lot of things about us that are, are obviously similar in terms of our upbringing and, and, and our tastes. Um, but he's significantly younger than me, almost a decade. And also, we're just different people. We have different personalities. And I think about this all the time. Um, and all this, by the way, is leading into me talking about Dr. Fate number 15. I think about this all the time because um, I think a lot of times when I look at the, you know, the um, reports from Diamond about which comics are doing the best and selling the most, I find myself sometimes in contradiction to the, the, the general tastes, the popular tastes of people out there. Um, the books that are often number one I are the ones that I'm hesitant to, to, to read. And uh, not, you know, I, I'm not a huge Deadpool fan. I'm not a huge Harley Quinn fan. I, I guess some of that stuff to me is, is impenetrable. Um, and it's not that I haven't given it a chance. It's that I'm trying to understand myself and my tastes. Um, and, and I think that's what I want to talk about today when I talk about Dr. Fate number 15 and Sonny Liu's art in specific. Um, over the next few days, I'm going to be looking at different works by Sonny Liu, including Today, Dr. Fate. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk about an older Marvel work, um, Sense and Sensibility Adaptation, which was drawn by Sonny Liu. And then Tuesday, when we talk about the Tuesday Trade paperback, I'm going to be talking about First Second's uh, Shadow Hero, which uh, Liu illustrated uh, and written was written by Jean Wen Yang. And then finally, on Wednesday, um, in the wider world of comics, I'm going to talk about The Art of Charlie Chan Hak Chai, which was published by Pantheon this March, um, written and drawn by, by Mr. Liu. Um, and, and all this wind-up that I've been saying is because when you look at um, Sonny Liu's art in Dr. Fate number 15, you see something in DC superhero comics that you don't 
often see a, a style and an aesthetic that is pretty different from the rest of um, DC superhero comics in general. Although, of course, there are lots of exceptions, and I'm going to say something in a second about how things are, are shifting a little bit. But um, I think that, uh, 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 you know, this, this difference between my brother and me, <laughs> between him loving the art of people like um, Ethan Van Skyver and... Um, and uh, Jason uh, Fabach, Fabach, I don't know how, how his, he pronounces his name, um, or Ivan Rice. Um, those kinds of artists are the kinds that draw the kind of comics that he really enjoys and loves. And I have enjoyed a lot of those stories, especially depending on the writing. Um, a lot of Jeff Johns's best works are things that I've, you know, uh, had some fun with. But I think they don't naturally appeal to me. Uh, uh, what does naturally appeal to me or I don't know if naturally is the right word, is this, the kind of stuff that is presented in Dr. Fate number 15 in, you know, throughout this run of Dr. Fate. And I think it's a little hard to categorize because actually the two artists that have drawn Dr. Fate, it's been primarily um, Sonny Liu. And I think a lot of fans of Sonny Liu have, have been become regular readers. In fact, they may be the, um, the majority of the regular readers of Dr. Fate. Um, I, I think this is one of those books that is middling at best um, in terms of sales at DC, but there's some commitment to it. Maybe it's Paul Levitz, maybe it's the character, um, and there's a legacy of interest in, in Dr. Fate. But I, I'm going to guess that a lot of people are that are reading Dr. Fate are also the kinds of people who really enjoy um, Sonny Liu. And uh, by the way, I'm, I say that word kinds of people advisedly, as I'll get into here in a minute. But, um, uh, you know, the two artists for Dr. Fate have been Sonny Liu, and then occasionally filling in have been, uh, has, has been Ibrahim Mustafa. And I've mentioned him a few times. I discovered uh, Mustafa, as many people did, um, it, with the um, Monkey Brain and then Dark Horse book High Crimes, uh, first sort of serialized um, through the Monkey Brain digital uh, release, and then and written by Christopher Sibella, I believe, and then um, eventually published. Uh, published in, in a hardcover form by Dark Horse. Um, High Crimes is a great comic, by the way, if you haven't checked that out. We may not talk about it here, but um, I'd love to talk about Mr. Mustafa's work more in the future. The reason I bring it up now that's really interesting is because I think if you are saying, if I'm saying that, you know, DC has something called the ho a house style, you know, a, a style that is, you know, with with some amount of variation, but generally similar among many of its headline artists, um, if DC has a house style, then I'd say that Mustafa and and Lou are both departures from that style, significant departures, but almost in opposite directions, uh, almost in in very very different ways. And I think that um, the Andy Kari, who is the editor of um, Doctor Fate, real smart. If it's up, to, if it was him or whoever <laughs> ought to be given credit, or Paul Levitz had something to do with it, um, really really um, smart in. In finding a fill-in uh, for, for those times when Sonny Liu needs a break, which seems incredibly rare, actually. Uh, he seems to be an, a super industrious and efficient artist to do the book at the regularity and with the quality that he does. Um, but anyway, um, to have a fill-in artist for Sonny Liu, who is so different from Sonny Liu, and also so different from the DC house style, because I think the book is trying to do something that's very different, again, from, from what the house style affords, allows you to do, and um, and to have two artists who are so different from it, but in, maybe in, in opposite ways. And I think it's been intentional. You see, you go if you're reading the whole run of Dr. Fate, and I'm going to take, take the assumption that a lot of people listening aren't reading it, and hopefully I can talk you into reading it. But if you're reading the whole run of Dr. Fate, a lot of times Mustafa's issues where he's bringing the art have been a little bit uh, aside from the main story. Um, in fact, they, they've often been really clearly a, a break from the main story to fill in some aspect of the story. And what Mustafa and um, Lou are both able to do, I'm going to argue, is to um, tell a cosmopolitan superhero story. And I'll define what I mean by cosmopolitan in a second. But to start off, I mean, uh, you know, when I think about the differences between my brother and me and what kind of comics that we like, I think of that, you know, sort of um, chestnut that people always say that there's no accounting for taste. And um, tastes, your tastes are your tastes and what you like is what you like. And, and um, you know, when I search why we like such different, sometimes opposite things, the things that my brother likes are the things that I don't like. And the things that I like are things that are hard for my brother to warm up to. Um, 
it's it's a little bit hard to investigate. It's a little bit hard to understand, given the fact that we grew up in the same household, same community, um, same sort of cultural influences for the most part. Although obviously there's a, a tiny half generational divide. Uh, he grew up on Power Rangers. I grew up on Ninja Turtles. You know something there. But um, but I think um, among the things that uh, uh, you know. Um, that separate us um, in terms of our interest is what is it that we're looking for? What kind of experience are we looking for in comics? And um, and one of the things that I um, that occurs to me is that when we're when we were kids, we both read comics. Um, I read, you know, sort of everything that was big because it was attached to a movie. Your Ninja Turtles, your 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 Batman, um, your um, uh, Dick Tracy when that was a movie. Those were the things that were my comics introduction. Um, I was also big on Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield and newspaper comics. I've talked about that. Um, my introduction to comics was also my introduction to America. And reading a range and a variety of comics brought me into Victorian era mores, brought me into detective fiction and hard-boiled um, crime, uh, brought me into superheroes, brought me into um, uh, really all kinds of things. And when I stopped reading comics as an early teenager, it was really because um, the the dominance of things that I had be actually become very much a fan of, the dominance of things like um, Jim Lee's work or, or Todd McFarlane's work, um, those image guys, um, or the, the superhero comic with uh, the thing the things that would eventually become Wildstorm's style or Top Cow's style. Those things had become so dominant in comic books and in the comic shelves that um, somehow they erased, for me, the, um, the whole world of comics, which in my upbringing involved things, you know, that were as independent as Eastman and Larry. Ninja Turtles or Usagi Yojimbo um, by Stan Sakai or you know sort of a, it's, it's, I grew up on manga or, or the, the Taiwanese version of manga, manhua and I grew up on a, a huge range of American comics but somehow early in my teenage years because of the, the boom in that, in that market, in the superhero market it, it all became reduced to superhero comics and then I found myself um, leaving it because of, as I've said before on this podcast, things like the uh, sort of exaggeration of female bodies and um, that it was so much on flash and guns, size of guns and number of pouches <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and the coolness of spaceships and, and all this kind of stuff. But it just felt really insubstantial to me as a teenager who started to want to understand things like society and things like... Um, you know, the nature of, of right and wrong and morality, um, and also um, girls. And so so I ditched comics um, at about 12, 13 years old, and came back to comics as a college student, because as a college student, I was um, at Berkeley, and I was reading all kinds of literary theory and, 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 um, and sociology, and it was intellectually stimulating. And then I went into a bookstore in Berkeley into um, into Moe's um, and and walked you know up over near the anthropology shelves and up near the media studies shelves was the shelves of comics and suddenly something kind of took me back and I reread Mouse which I had read before and I and I reread a ton of other um, comics again the whole range you know stuff from around the world and um, on a biographical stuff and uh, uh, Gilles de Lille and um, really, you know, a, a lot of stuff and remembered again, went back to the roots of when I was a kid and something about comics taught me not just America, but taught me the world. And I was a kid who immigrated back and forth between America and Taiwan. And I had a hunger for understanding, not just uh, understanding culture, uh, capital C, but also cultures, you know, lowercase c with the plural. And I think comics had a way of bringing me into worlds that were both visual and narrative, that were both, um, you know, had the features of prose that were about, you know, the, the, the internal consciousness, the internal um, monologue and dialogue, and the visual aesthetics. And, and, and comics did that for me in a, in a really amazing way in college. And so it was sort of a parallel with my intellectual, and I should mention my spiritual kind of foment as a as a young man, as a college student, for me to be reading a lot of different comics. Um, I don't know that my brother had the same experience. I think for my brother, 
reading comics was always home. <laughs> reading comics was a sense of being next to his older brother um, and his older brother going, here, here's a pile of books that I'm not reading anymore. Go ahead and have, have a ball. Um, and so they inhabit the same place for my younger brother as Power Rangers and, um, and Pokemon might. Um, a place of a kind of um, escape isn't the right word because it actually isn't a matter of running away from who you are, but coming back to who you are. So for me, comics are windows, and for him, comics are, are uh, you know, the, the cozy couch. Um, that, by the way, is a theory that he may call me <laughs> after I release this podcast and say, you're full of crap. And so I, I, you know, I will happily and readily accept that. But that's a bit of my theory about why it is that, okay, so now we're talking a little bit about um, Dr. Fate. We're talking about DC Comics. And this same week that Dr. Fate is out, um, Suicide Squad number one, with art by Jim Lee in another one of his returns to, to actually being at the art board, um, being the, what I don't know what he is, the artistic <laughs> chief uh, creative something or other uh, at DC. Um, but he's back at the art board and he's drawing Suicide Squad and it's all time to fit in with the movie and, um, and many of the same characters. And so he's going to bring his awesome, very cool Jim Lee look. And I should say that I like Jim Lee. I think it's really cool looking art. I bought you know every issue of Wildcats when I was a kid and it, and it came out. Um, okay, but Jim Lee's art has been, I think, um, powerfully influential on DC's house style. You know, if you can say that a generation ago, or maybe two generations ago, um, it was Jim Aparo, uh, it was your, um, your Neil Adams, and, and those kind of artists who were influential in DC's house style, I'd say in the last two decades, it's much more that Jim Lee brought his talents eventually uh, over to, um, to DC, and then a generation of artists who, uh, it's pr probably not fair to call them um, just Jim Lee influence or, or to call them Jim Lee clones or anything like that. I think they're actually, um, they're actually, uh, uh, you know, bringing very different things and, and stuff like that. But, but I think they're, I, I don't know if they're, they're, I mean, if we're talking about you know, like grunge bands, or you're talking about alt indie or or funk or something like that. You know, you you're sort of within the same um, uh, resonance chamber, echo chamber, let's say, in terms of artistic styles. And I, I think that stuff is pretty cool, um, pretty cool looking, very dynamic. And to me, it's become very readable. Um, for a while, I had trouble really kind of grasping it, but the more I read it, the more I kind of get it how cool and explosive it looks, how dynamic it can be. Um, and that dynamism, I think, is very summed up by David Finch, uh, who was the artist on Batman. And, I, I mean, the latest run of Batman, the first five issues of, of Tom King's um, sort of new rebirth-era Batman, um, you know, there's been some complaint about it, and some people uh, really don't like it, and others, I think, are, are huge fans of it. And I think my, my perspective on it is that I love... Um, Tom King's work. I've been following The Vision. I've been following um, Sheriff of Babylon. I read um, Omega Men, and I read uh, some of his previous stuff, too. And he was involved in Grayson and stuff like that. I think Tom King is brilliant, um, and I think he's doing a very different kind of Batman story. But I think that a lot of... My, my own theory is that some people aren't responding to it because I actually think it's a poor match with the artist. Um, and David Finch's art, I should say, in this book, it, it looks good. I mean... It actually looks better than a lot of, of previous David Finch stuff that I haven't, you know, hugely admired. I think it helps a lot that Jordi Belair is on colors. Um, and I, uh, for those of you holding on, I will get to Dr. Fate 15, I promise. Um, but I'm just sort of laying the terrain for what I want to say about Dr. Fate 15 and, and Sonny Liu. Um, but uh, David Finch on Batman, I think, has been um, effective, efficient, in terms of telling the story. So I, I know what Tom King, I can see what Tom King is trying to do. But the, the reason I say that I feel like it's a bit of a mismatch is because I think Tom King is trying to do something that has a certain tongue-in-cheekness. And all of the taste aspects of, um, of the David Finch um, sort of in the Jim Lee resonance chamber style of art to me are all just kind of optically wrong for the story and I'll you know and to to mildly spoil it um in in Batman number 5 this week um 
there's a really great scene, and it's it's very Tom King, um, in in that it's wry and it's smart and it's uh and it's just it's funny and interesting and in some ways devastating if you really think about it. Um, which is that um, Alfred puts on the the mask and Alfred is Batman for a minute, and um, <laughs> and it's a scene that really you know really made me kind of laugh out loud the dialogue and the, the him writing his regret for um uh, king writing alfred's regret for all these years that he's taken care of of uh of batman uh, of bruce wayne and, and now having to put on this suit and then the page where gotham uh, confronts gotham the hero uh, the 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 um errant hero <laughs> confronts alfred in the bat suit and alfred's attempt to um pass as batman it's just it's kind of comedic gold it's so i i think it's really well written and i think it's just really interesting and a great turn for alfred pennyworth the actor um but i it, but something in the art style just feels wrong to me about it because i'm so used to the a kind of self-seriousness in jim lee um ivan rice uh uh ethan van skyver uh uh david finch kind of art and if if and I don't mean self seriousness like to the exclusion of having a sense of humor, but I'm just not used to this sense of this kind of sense of humor, this tone that Tom King writes in, that I think he does really well in the vision and works with Gabriel Hernandez Walta's art, and he does really well in Sheriff of Babylon in these tiny, subtle ways that actually somehow in Mitch Gerard's, which um, I would say a little bit more similar to the school that Ibrahim Mustafa belongs in, you know, that kind of, that, that sense of humor seems to work with that kind of art too. Um, almost broadly uh, serious, but, but, but with the, the ability to have a, a bit of irony. And I don't know, it, it's probably unfair on my part to look, to, to look at the David Finch art, the, the Jim Lee art, and to not credit it with the ability to have that sense of irony um, that, other work does but that's part of my the I guess my sense of taste um playing out um I would hate to say that you know forever more Jim Lee or Philip Tan or or um or David Finch will never be able to draw this kind of story for me but I I think the things that I attach this kind of art to and then and then the tone and the mood that um that Tom King is writing and they just don't fit for me they don't fit together for me, and then and to come back to that notion of no accounting for taste, um, I I don't believe that for a minute. I think there's a lot of accounting for taste. Anybody who's um, read um, Pierre Bourdieu's Distinction, or even read a summary of his book Distinction, or anybody who's hung around cultural studies long enough, you kind of know that, you know, sort of from a, a sociologically speaking, there's a lot of accounting for taste. There's a lot of ability for us to account for the things that we call high art or low art, high culture or low culture, and then the things that we um, legitimate as art or legitimate as culture and what determines our sense of taste. And a whole lot of it has to do with our education and, and, and our you know family background and the, the background of our family's cultural consumption and what we start to, what we deem as like, you know, cool and not cool, how we assert a sense of our own status, our own cultural capital, um, by liking certain things and not liking certain things, if you are um, the kind of person who likes an art house film or a documentary versus the kind of person who likes, um, uh, you know, um, trashy blockbuster, uh, trashy movies. Actually, no, that's two different categories: trashy horror films versus the person who can, who likes the big block blockbuster action movie. You know, all those things are we consider them taste and yeah two people from the same household can differ on them but if you sort of look at it at from the big picture if you do the kind of thing that Bourdieu did which is to look at people's economic backgrounds and then their the levels of education and then their their family social status and stuff there's actually a whole lot of correlation that you can find and that correlation has uh you know no explanation in itself but 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 can be explained by theory that, you know, understands that what we're trying to do with our sense of taste, quote unquote, that we think doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have any accounting for it is a lot of um, reflection of our 
of our social background and of our relationship to other people and to, to other classes and to categorization. Categorization of art and culture as a way of distinguishing ourselves, of making distinctions. Um, and, sometimes, and, and sometimes those distinctions work in, in um, uh, unexpected ways. Um, it's not necessarily like the highest class, the highest elite, educational elite, the highest elite in terms of wealth and cultural background always like what's classed as the highest uh, or high, the most highbrow you know, source of cultural production. It's not that simplistic. But um, uh, anyway, that is a book that I recommend. Uh, even <laughs> even to take the example and to be self-reflexive for a moment, the fact that I'm here on a comic book podcast talking about DC Comics, name-dropping Pierre Bourdieu as if that makes me legitimate in some sense to analyze this stuff. Um, I, I'm actually, I'm doing that for sure. But I'm also, because I, but I think there's an insight there that uh, gives me an insight into myself and why do I need to justify, why do I need to um, talk circles around all of this? I think what I'm trying to say is that um, I have accrued through my experiences, through being all the things that I am and hung around, accrued a kind of distaste where certain things don't speak to me and other things do speak to me. And why they do or don't speak to me are worthy as an object of my analysis, worthy of us thinking and talking about. Um, David Finch drawing Batman number five. That art doesn't speak to me. But the story and what Tom King is doing does speak to me. Uh, that brings me to Dr. Fate 15. I, you, you probably say some things similarly about um, Suicide Squad number one. Um, but, but Dr. Fate has been um, written by Paul Levitz, who's, you know, as, <laughs> as veteran, um, as emeritus, uh, a, a superhero writer as there could be. Um, and, and drawn by Sonny Liu. Now, Sonny Liu, if you don't know, is a, um, a Singaporean comics artist. Um, he uh, has won numerous awards and um, hung around for a long time, and I think he's always been very true to himself and to his styles. Um, I say styles in plural because, as I'll talk about on Wednesday, one of the things that you um, that I, that I, I think becomes really obvious about Sonny Liu is that he has certain styles that he um, he you know, you can, you can tell this is the same artist as the Shadow Hero or as Malinky Robot or um, Sense and Sensibility, which I'll talk about tomorrow. You can tell it's the same artist, but you also, but he also has incredible range in what he can do. And, um, and in fact, that's kind of what I want to say about him, that it's Lou's range, um, a range that I'm going to call cosmopolitan in, for, for a reason in a minute. But he has an incredible range that I think makes him really, really fit for Dr. Fate and what they're trying to do in Dr. Fate. And that I think is really important to consider when we talk about superhero art. A kind of range that I'm not, I don't know if Sonny Liu would be the best artist for Batman, uh, for Tom King's Batman, but I think that part of the, part of my argument here is that his range is actually, um, uh, maybe a better his kind of range would be a better fit for the kind of range of storytelling that Tom King is trying to do in Batman um, and it's a kind of range that again I think DC is trying to aspire toward trying to um, fit into their comics at the same time that as Jeff Johns has said and I'm paraphrasing here they're still staying true to the comics that you love you know they're trying to have it their cake and eat it too in this in this rebirth they're trying to be um, all of the uh, Miller and Adams and Apero, and by the way, I'm looking at a page of Batman number five where the billboards literally say Miller, Adams, and Apero, um, and Jones, and others, but um, Brave Fogel. Um, but they're trying to pay tribute to all that was in the past and yet to have this freshness and newness still stand. And I think Jeff Johns wants to um, have his cake and eat it too. I think DC wants to have their cake and eat it too. But there's something in contention um, in these pages. And, and they don't have to be in contention. I think they can be harmonized. And I think it's one of the things that you can read DC is trying to do right now is to say that there's harmony. There's harmony between the new and the old um, or the, the longstanding and the, um, the differing, the variation. Um, they're trying to take the variant covers and, and put it into the... Um, 
the work, the, the sensibility of the body of the, the work. But um, yeah, I think DC's trying to do that. And one of the ways they showed that they were doing that is to keep Dr. Fate going. And Dr. Fate started as part of the DCU initiative that really went after the variants. Um, they went after the different kinds of tastes. They got, um, you know, Caldwell's aesthetic on Prez. They had, you know, Batmite going with a very different aesthetic. They had um, a lot of very different things. Um, they, I mean, uh, to, to not just talk about the art, they brought Jin Luen Yang on to write Superman. And what I see going on in Rebirth in, let's say, Brian Ching's style in Supergirl, um, in, let's say, Claire Rowe being the artist of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, in, let's say, Hope Larson being the storyteller of, uh, of the main Batgirl title, um, and even in, in making Tom King the inheritor of the Batman throne, um, in making... Um, uh, let's see what else reflects this. Uh, well, Otto Schmidt, the new artist of Green Arrow. Um, I think they're trying to push out against that uh, the the constraints of that house style of that Wildstorm influenced Jim Lee house style, while still honoring it, while still having it, while still you know giving Ethan Van Skyver the respect that is due to him as the artist of Green Lanterns. Uh, no, he's doing Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, I shouldn't be surprised. He's drawing Hal Jordan. <laughs> um, they're trying to still maintain. And um, Dr. Fade is a vestige of an earlier effort to not not only maintain, but to really push out harder. I think, I, you know, the way I read it is that New 52 was a let's start from scratch. They saw how things took and didn't take and how people responded to it. Then uh, DCU was looking around the, the marketplace and looking around at their competitors and saying, hey, we need to diversify, and then trying to diversify. Some of that was catastrophic sales-wise. I think for different reasons than diversity doesn't work, but, um, but nobody outright said it, said it and took it that way. And now DC Rebirth is, again, trying to say, we can have a bit of diversity, and we can have a bit of wideness and variance, a bit of, um, uh, you know, ho hold loosely to, to this certain style, but we can, uh, but we, we will also bring back the best of what that stuff was so that all of our old standbys can see the things that they know and we're familiar with and we're invested in for many decades and find the things that they love. Now, overall, how is it doing? I think it's working. I think it's working really well. It's working well in terms of sales. It's working well in terms of the positive reviews that a lot of DC's books have been getting. Um, but in the meantime, you can, when you're reading Dr. Fate, and you're, if you've been following all the way through issue 15, you can see all of the push and pull of this in the pages of the comic. Um, there's even some self-referential stuff in it that, um, that alludes to this. You know, um, At first, Dr. Fate is a very different kind of comic, and part of that is Sonny Liu's art, art style and his aesthetic. You can see that in that they took um, Khalid, who was... Uh, there's a character named Khalid who inherits the the mantle, literally the helmet of of Doctor Fate um, earlier in one of the Earth, um, whatever number versions of it. But you know, old Doctor Fate, Justice Society Doctor Fate, Doctor Fate from years and years and years and years ago is 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 most often Kent Nelson, and Kent Nelson is an old white guy. Uh, he's an adventurer. Uh, in fact, there's some pretty crazy sort of exploitation as an archaeologist of Egyptian culture. And so in writing that, that narrative and that history, um, uh, writing, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, writing, uh, Paul Levitz wrote um, back Khalid, at, in this case, um, Khalid uh, Nasur, as, as the new inheritor of the Dr. Fate helmet and mantle. And then uh, DC brings Sonny Liu. And what Sonny Liu can do, and I think what Mustafa can do, that's hard, that's a little bit hard for the house style to do, is to draw people of color and to draw people from different kinds parts of the world. You'll say, that's interesting because a whole lot of the um, artists <laughs> that, um, that you know, helped to strengthen, create the DC, the current DC house style, were artists of color, specifically... Um, Asian and Pacific Islander artists, um, you know, people like Jim Lee, people like Wills Protasio, uh, people like um, now Philip Tan, you know, and I, I'm not trying to say that they are only capable of drawing white. I'm saying that the way that that style works, um, there is 
maybe a little bit less room for wild variation. You know, Alfred's head is a little skinnier. Uh, <laughs> others' heads are a little bit more feminine. But really, there's something that in that is always, however you draw these faces and, and bodies, and however Jim Lee draws Killer Croc or Harley Quinn, it's always in the service of a certain dynamism and, um, and certain realism, uh, a certain kind of realism that um, adheres closely to the style. You know, Duke clearly looks like a, a young black man um, and in, in David Finch's Batman number five. So I'm not saying that you can't draw a person of color when you draw in that style. Um, I'm not being, trying to be that reductive. But what you can do when you're Sonny Lou, and what Sonny Lou does is he can draw, you know, a whole, bun whole bunch of different styles, but he tends to draw with a little bit more of a caricature, of a little bit more of an exaggeration, a little bit more cartooniness. And what you can do if you can do, if you're drawing that way, is that, that you can draw a person who is meant to look um, Egyptian, half Egyptian and half white, or you can draw a person who is meant to be, um, you know, a a clearly, uh, uh, you know, an African American or a person of African descent or a person of um, East Asian descent or a person of of um, European descent, whatever, you know, whatever kind of person that you're trying to draw, you can draw them with some of the caricature without get a, giving a sense that you're stereotyping. Um, you know, if you read American comics from the 40s that feature Asian characters or, um, or, <laughs> you know, as they, as they might have been called at the time, Arab characters, Arabic Persian characters, you, um, you, you tend to have drawn white people, quote unquote, normal, you know, your Doc Savage looks normal, and your, um, your savage uh, Asian or your savage African looks extreme and exaggerated. Um, I was reading Corda Maltese, the Ethiopian, and I think you know, as much credit as you can give for, for questioning colonization um, to, to Hugo Pratt, there's definitely a, my African characters look like very extreme caricatures and my um, white characters look like some standard of white, um, uh, I don't know, ideal face, ideal figure. Um, and I think there's something in the, st in the style of, of your Wildstorm Top Cow uh, Jim Lee, that people are only only deviate so far from the ideal standard um, figure of hands, body, face um, to to keep the kind of dynamism that they're able to express. Um, but when you're Sonny Lou, everything is caricature, and so everything can. There's no there's no single like um, monotone standard to depart from. Um, Khalid's mother, who's white, is as much a, a caricature of maybe a British woman, you know, a white British woman, as um, her, has his father, um, who is Egyptian, um, is a caricature of an Egyptian. Um, and, you know, I think when I say that there's a cosmopolitan sensibility, what I mean is that you belong to a place where you're used to, you know, what you know as local is very heavily infused with global um, and for Sonny Liu to be Singaporean and for the kind of um, influence that for instance he exhibits in the art of Charlie Chan Hak Chai you know that Sonny Liu grow, grew up reading Tezuka and he also grew up reading um, uh, Kirby you know he, you can see that he grows up knowing Steve Ditko as well as he knows um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hergé. He's, he's reading all kinds of stuff and his influences and his style, his tastes, Sonny Luz, are cosmopolitan. And that's reflected in how he draws because uh, Dr. Fate the, has characters who have a certain um, cartooniness and yet still kind of believably heroic um, epic and adventurous and action-oriented and exciting with the kind of layouts, the kind of um, dynamism, the kind of camera angles, the kind of um, explosiveness that um, he's obviously familiar and comfortable with the superheroing um, genres, but, uh, but also features the kind of um, cartooniness that um, a world of animation and a world of animators uh, seem to be speaking their influence into this. Uh, heavily, very heavily, um, the way that faces are, are rendered, the way that um, 
you know, action is drawn. There's, I don't know, there's something in it here that, um, that lets you uh, cut loose, that lets you be um, uh, unconstrained by having all of the, the echoes of um, one particular kind of storytelling. Um, yeah, so what that allows Dr. Fate as a story to do is to be as wide-ranging as it is because um, Khalid uh, is a, a medical student. So there's all kinds of drama with him and being in medical school and, and not showing up to medical school and not showing up to his classes. There is a kind of disaster, you know, almost like um, Walking Dead type of environmental, apocalyptic, um, crazy, the world's going crazy stuff going on with this flood. There is a, um, uh, you know, anthropomorphized, no, uh, there's, there's animals being deities and those deities being in conflict with each other. There's spirits and, and death. Um, and then there's also very domestic uh, and also very social and political scenes of characters protesting and marching, commentary on, um, you know, nativism, American nativism, and, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of political um, uh, action by, by people advocating for their, um, their homelands and the, the sort of transnational politics that go on uh, with, with the relationship between the Middle East and the United States. You know, there's a lot going on in this comic book. And how do you find an art style that can be taken seriously and take itself seriously while still retaining the kind of adaptability, exaggeration, and caricature that cartooning needs to do um, to, to handle all those kinds of subjects? You do it with Sonny Lou, and Sonny Lou can do that. Um, and and all, that, that, uh, all that I said to start off this podcast is for me to bracket all that and to say, Sonny Lou does that for me, and I'm not saying that David Finch or Jim Lee can't do that, but he doesn't. But they that art, artistic style to me feels more limited in doing that for me, uh, and I don't know if that's because I'm not. I just look at this art style of of Batman number five, and I'm just not used to. I'm only used to certain kinds of stories being told in it. Um, maybe the range of the stories being I'm used to being told in this kind of art style is somewhere between. Uh, you know, Jeff John's Green Lantern and, uh, you know, Warren Ellis on The Authority, which is a pretty big range, but still doesn't um, reach the kind of um, broadness, the kind of levels that I'm, that I'm referring to. Uh, whereas I look at Sonny Lou's art and I'm reminded uh, at the same time, at the very same moment of political cartoons and of um, sort of, uh, you know, manga that are about the spirit world. I'm reminded at the same time of European adventure comics as I am of, um, I don't know, the best um, 1940s uh, superhero fare. You know, I, I feel like there's a multivocality, let's say, multiple voices that come out in Lou's art that are global in origin, that are um, not so specified for my tastes that they aren't um, also, you know, that, that they can tell this kind of very different kind of story. And I think that's really important for what DC is trying to achieve. At the same time, honoring its past and keeping the kinds of readers that are devoted to DC, um, but also being able to sort of widen the scope and tell very different kinds of stories. I think Sunny Lou, being on Doc Dr. Fate, um, gives them something in their um, pool of books and I wish that Dr. Fate was a little more mainstream I wish that it was a little more prominent as a character I wish this book was getting a little bit more commentary um, and the kind of eyes and the kind of readership that um, Batman or Suicide Squad is getting um, but I, but I, I mean I see it I see what DC is trying to do as a strategy which is to um, continue to to push at the margins and then continue to have its warm, comfortable, gooey center for <laughs> people like my brother to feel at home with the stories and characters that it's, they've long been attached to. Uh, this has been one of the more uh, 
difficult 50 minutes of the Paul list so far because I think I'm trying to broach things that I don't know if I know how to talk about yet um, that I'm sure, I'm sure others have articulated better than I have. Um, but uh, yeah, as I go on in this week and I keep talking about Sonny Lou's work, I hope to get more specific. I think today was sort of an opening salvo in talking about how I want to talk about superhero comics and also in how um, Sonny Liu is um, a commentary in his style on uh, American comics, um, on Western comics. I think that in the work that we're going to look at in the, the rest of the week, there's there's ways that he's a commentary on, on other comics. But since Dr. Fate exists in this sphere and since we're here in our Sunday Super Friend, um, that's a bit about uh, DC for me. Um, in the weeks to come, I expect to talk more about um, all of these DC books that I've been keeping up with and enjoying, more about these rebirth titles, but I, I hope I can refer back to this conversation about um, about Dr. Fate as a way of thinking about rebirth um, sociologically, maybe, um, socioculturally, um, as a way of thinking about rebirth and what's going on in rebirth as part and parcel of some of the 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 cultural politics that are being enacted on these pages. Um, and, and and I also just want to talk about the art. <laughs> I want to talk about the stories. I want to talk about the characters. I want to talk about the things that are fun and interesting about um, about DC Rebirth and about um, this, the, the idea, I don't know if we'll ever come back to this, of Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen and, and all that stuff. But for today, um, that's, that's it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Wow, there's probably a ton of stuff that I've said today that people would just want to um, rake me over the coals about, or just to say, I don't know what you were talking about, Paul. You need to um, you need to make this clear, or you need to make that clear. But I've spent my hour, and this podcast um, is a you know I jump off the ledge and do it and um, throw it out there and see what see what takes. So anyway, this has been my the beginning of a conversation about Sunny Lou. Um, a bit of a conversation about DC, about how style, uh, and about um, about superhero art. And uh, I hope that you give me some feedback. I hope you're 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 kind. <laughs> I hope you're kind and forgiving in the feedback that you give. Um, I I really want to welcome that dialogue, and I want to welcome um, your your responses. See what you have to say. Um, so you can find me at two ply on Twitter. You can email me at tuply at gmail um, that's t-w-o-p-l-a-i um and uh yeah and let's keep reading <laughs>